Praise God. Let's just go to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 46. For those who have it in their Bible. We are going to be reading the wonderful story about blind Bartimaeus. We all know it. There's another scripture I'd like to read. And this is a very important message that I know will ring true with all of us here this morning. Let's just read it first. Now, this is Mark 10, verse 46. Now, they came to Jericho. As he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus, Yeshua of Nazareth, he began to cry and say, Yeshua, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Yeshua stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garments, he rose and came to him. So Yeshua answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabboni, that I may receive my sight. Then Yeshua said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Yeshua on the road. Amen. Let's just turn to Acts chapter 13. There's something I want to just share from there. It's a well-known scripture to us as well. Is a very important message that comes out of both of these scriptures when we put them together. Acts chapter 13, I'm just going to read the first three verses. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Father God, we pray for your grace this morning as we share your word. Holy Spirit, once again, we recognize you as the one and only teacher. We ask you to help us. We ask you to reach down in the word and bring forth the treasure for our spirits that we need this morning, that we might go forth from this place equipped to do your work. We come against any unclean spirit that would want to stop your word from affecting the lives of all who hear it. And we ask you for this. In Yeshua's mighty name. Amen. Now the title of my message this morning very simply is, What are you believing God for? Amen. What exactly are you and I believing God for? Let me say it again. What exactly are you and I believing God for? Now I say that advisedly because you see, I've come to realize something. You and I should know by now that God responds to faith. Amen? That's the way this whole thing works. I've said it so many times before, and I'm going to keep on saying it. If you and I give God the faith, he will do the rest. Amen? The difficult part from our perspective as human beings is generating that faith. Amen? Generating that faith. 
Faith is not a simplistic thing when people say, oh, you must just believe. It's not. They are two entities that are closely connected, but they're not exactly the same thing. And this is where the confusion comes. Because if people just say to you, oh, you must believe, and you say, okay, I believe. But things just don't work out anyway. And you say, well, I believed and it didn't work out. So maybe the Bible isn't true, you understand? We get on a cycle that goes down. Now, the fact of the matter is, you see, that there's a difference between faith and belief. Let me put it this way. Faith is a substance. If you have enough of the substance, you are able to believe. Does that make sense? Until you have enough faith, you and I, although we want to believe, we might believe that we believe, we don't really believe. Amen? And that's something that takes a bit of digging deep in the word to grasp, but that's how it is. You see, by choosing to believe in the face of everything, you and I, without realizing it, are generating faith. Every time you choose to believe, your faith grows. And the way it should work is this. According to the Bible, you choose, you choose, you choose, you continue to choose to believe, you make the necessary adjustments, and it's a process, you see. When people say just believe, they're assuming that you're going to jump from this position of maybe no faith to a massive state where you have a lot of faith. It doesn't happen like that. Faith grows. Jesus spoke about the mustard seed. He compared faith and the kingdom to a mustard seed. What is the significance of a mustard seed? Not the fact that it is small, although it is tiny. The significance of a mustard seed is its capacity for phenomenal growth. Amen? That's the point. Everybody's got some degree of faith. The issue is not how much you have or have not. That's not the point. In God's economy, the whole point is what you do with what you have, what we have, you see. But let me just say this. For us to develop our faith, it's important to have something that we are attaching our faith to. Can you all say amen? It's so important to have something, let me put it this way, concrete, that we can attach our faith to for it to grow. Otherwise, we become like the Israelites, wandering around aimlessly in the wilderness, mouthing off how we're developing our faith, where we're not really. That's why, you see, that scripture, we read about blind Bartimaeus. The fundamental lesson there is, even though it was obvious that the man needed his sight, what did the master have to ask him? What do you want? Are you hearing me? Wasn't it obvious what he wanted? Couldn't anybody have seen that? You understand? And yet, he wanted Bartimaeus with his very mouth to say, I want to see, I want my sight. Are you hearing me? He wanted Bartimaeus to express in concrete terms what exactly it was that he wanted. The moment you did that, guess what? Your faith, note, has healed you. Your faith has healed you. But it's not that simple. What I need to say is that there's a process in this whole thing. You see, blind Bartimaeus didn't come to the Lord Jesus and the Lord Jesus said, what do you want? And blind Bartimaeus went through a whole list. A yacht on the Mediterranean, no, not today. Um, you know, I'll maybe have a nice, a nice chariot with a few horses. No, no, not today. I don't think that's going to work for me. 
Um, I would appreciate a decent meal. Did that all go through his mind? No. He spoke immediately when it had been on his heart all the time, you understand? I want my sight. I want my sight. And what I need to say to us this morning, you see, is when you and I come to God, we need to have very clear in our mind what it is that we want from Him. Are you hearing me? We have to. If we don't have it clear in our minds, can I tell you something? The whole thing becomes very vague and nebulous. And you might say, well, that's pretty easy, Graham, but let me just say this. I've come to realize something. We humans, generally speaking, are scared to be definite about anything. Do you know why? Because, you see, the moment we are definite about something, it brings commitment. Do you understand? It brings commitment. And once there's commitment, there's responsibility. Are you hearing me? That's why, ladies, you find it so difficult for the men to say, okay, let's do it. Get married. I'm a classic example. Oh, yes. <laughs> you take a can and you kick it down the road. <laughs> you understand what I'm talking about? Maybe one day in the sweet by and by, sweetheart, but right now I'm happy. I've got everything I want, but no commitment. You understand? Once you tie the knot, that is it, if you understand covenant, of course. If you understand covenant, which we should as Christians. Amen? But you see, I somehow get the feeling we're scared to ask God for something that is defined because then if it doesn't happen, we don't have to try and excuse God away. You understand? Make excuses for God. You know, that's why people say, you're trusting God to heal, yes, but if not, you know, don't so on. In other words, God doesn't have to do it for me. Now, you see, there's a problem with that. Because if we have that mentality, we end up, like so many people, wandering aimlessly around in the wilderness. Amen? I don't know if any of you have heard the story about me and my friend Owen when I was a university student. The story of not getting lost. Has anybody heard that story before? I don't want to bore you with it, but let me just say, because I quite enjoyed the story. I was a law student at one stage and had a compatriot by the name of Owen Barrows. Owen Barrows rose up to become an authority in criminal procedure. He actually wrote a book about it. So he's quite a dedicated lawyer, as it were. But we weren't at that stage then. And I can never forget sitting at the back of Professor Sonny Lehman's criminal law class on a Friday afternoon. You see, of course, it was as boring as they come. We were talking to each other every Friday and deciding, where are we going to go for the weekend? Because both of us love diving underwater. You know, we scuba diving, looking for crayfish, hallelujah, or perlamun, both of which are very nice to eat. Amen. Now, we were talking about this, and we were trying to decide where are we going to go this weekend, you see. So I came up with this brilliant idea. As a budding lawyer, I think this is outstanding. I said to him, Owen, are you aware that we live on a peninsula? And he said, yes, I am. I've been living here all my life. Came from Fushuk, by the way. I said, by definition, a peninsula is surrounded by water. Am I right? He said, yes, it is. I said to him, there, our problem is solved. 
What we will do is get into your Mark III Spitfire, which as we found out, is the worst production car ever made, and we will just head with all our gear. The thinking being, now listen carefully, the thinking being we are surrounded by what eventually must come to the coast. Does that make sense? Then my profound thought to him was this. Owen, if we don't know where we're going, we can't get lost. The lights came on. He realized sitting next to him was a jurist of infinite potential. So that's what we did. Now in those days, they used to produce something called Paul Perlet. Does anybody know what Paul Perlet is? Well, Paul Perlet, for your information, is a cheap white wine that is carbonated, all right, in a fancy bottle. Favorite of all students who didn't want to drink Tassenberg, which was the red equivalent. So we took our bottle of Paul Perlet and a nice prepared roast chicken, and we headed. Being the Cape, what happened soon is the cloud cover came. But remember, we didn't worry about that because we couldn't get lost. Do you know why we couldn't get lost? We didn't know where we were going. Well, to cut a long story short, at about midnight, after fruitless driving around trying not to get lost, we thought the ball pillow is finished, but it's starting to work on us. We need to get some sleep. We came to a place that seemed to be very flat. I said, this is as good a place as any. He agreed. We got out the car, pitched the tent, and I recall in my alcohol-befuddled mind seeing an orange glow somewhere up there. But it didn't worry me too much because, you know, at that stage I wasn't concerned. We weren't lost, you understand? We were not lost. You got it? We were not lost. We set up tent. When we woke up in the morning, to our horror, do you know what we discovered? We had parked in the middle of a light aircraft landing strip. Thank God nobody made an emergency landing. Hallelujah. Well, once we discovered that, we looked at each other and thought, no point not getting lost anymore. Let's go home. You understand? Now, what am I trying to say? It sounds very clever. Oh, if you don't know where you're going, you can't get lost. But let me just say this. If you're not, and it might seem foolish, student foolishness, but a lot of people's lives are based on what? Not really knowing where we are going. Amen? And the beauty of not knowing where you are going is you don't have to face the fact that you might have failed to get there. Are you hearing me today? This is human psychology. If we don't put God on the spot, we don't have to explain if he doesn't pitch. But the problem with that is, as you discovered, if you don't know where you're going, you're likely to get there. I mean, if you are going nowhere, you're liable to get there. Well, you get to know where we are. You understand? And our lives are spent going round and round and round. But you see, God is different. And that's what the Bible speaks about when it speaks of hope. Vision and hope are the same thing. Hope. You have to have something that you're hoping for. Amen? And can I just say that the more concrete the thing is, the better. We have to have something concrete that we are moving towards. Okay? And you see, what happens then? Something kicks in. All right. 
what kicks in is this development of faith. I want you to see this blind Bartimaeus sitting on the side and he hears about this healer coming to town. And if you and I are mixed with some affliction, we are confronted with some affliction, can I just say this? My experience has been people will do anything to get rid of it. Is that right, Anit? Even faith is unknown at the hands of the medical profession. It is traumatic, but we have prayed. What I'm saying is this. You see, it's so important to have something that we have concrete in our mind. And as we make steps to go towards it, what I need to say is when we start to make those steps, the closer we get, the more our faith level automatically rises. All right? Something happens. Now, it's something that's hard to explain. But you see, when we have a vision and we don't start moving towards it, that vision remains a dream. Can you all say amen? That's the problem. There's so many dreamers around. But a dream will not materialize unless we start moving towards it. You see, blind Bartimaeus, as I was saying, is sitting there in his heart of hearts. He's hoping one day to see like everybody else. You understand? And now he hears the one chance that he knows is coming past. Like so many, he could have said, if it's his will, I'll sit here and he'll come to me and heal me. Would he have got healed that way? No. Alright? What's the lesson? The first thing Bartimaeus began to do is to talk. Are you hearing me? He began to speak the answer. Have mercy on me. In other words, it's possible. You've done it for others, you can do it for me. Now there's the lesson right there. Don't think that the moment you and I start talking the answer, start talking about our vision, start talking about what God's placed in heart, start talking about the things we believe belong to us, that we desire from God. Don't think the world will say, oh, that's wonderful, hallelujah. What happened to Bartimaeus? You know the story. Bartimaeus, you're being ridiculous, so don't shut up. And he could have done that. You understand? But no, he kept going towards what he knew was the answer. And please notice something. He had to move. And can I ask you, where did he have to move? This is a great lesson in itself. He had to move from where he was to who? Jesus. Are you hearing me? His answer would come from Jesus. Now, something supernatural happens as he's moving. And this is what I want us to pick up. What was possibly a part dream and could have remained a dream his whole existence, the moment he started to talk and the moment he started to get up, something happened. The dream inside of him became concrete. Are you hearing me? It became concrete. It became something more real. How do we know that? You'll notice something. Teacher of the Bible pointed this out. On his way there, what does he do with his cloak? He throws the thing off. Well, you say, well, it must have been hot. Can I tell you, the temperature had nothing to do with it. We have to understand the culture of the day. If you were blind in that day and age, there was no hope of any career, you understand? 
you were condemned to be a beggar. Amen? If you were leprous, you were condemned to be a beggar. There was no hope for a person. If you were lame in the feet, you were condemned to be a beggar. And in that day and age, if you were a beggar, you had a special beggar's cloak. You all got it? In other words, he's a registered beggar. <laughs> so you blind Bartimaeus wearing this cloak. They said, you wear this and people will help you because then we know that you're real. What happened to Bartimaeus? Stands up. His hope is there. He's moving towards it. He's keeping speaking it. He shouted it against all odds. And he comes to a place where that revelation that this is possible. Throwing off this life of being a beggar is possible. And what does he do? Takes that thing. Burns the bridge. You get it? What's happening? Faith is? I hope you see this. What was a vague dream out there becomes more real as we move. As we move. If you sit where you are and wait for it to happen, what will happen? You can have all the faith in the world, but if you don't move towards it, that faith will die. You understand? And he's moving, moving, moving. The revelation strikes him. This is going to happen. I don't have to be a beggar anymore. He gets to the master, and the master puts him on the spot, and he says, what do you want? Is that the time to get all mealy-mouthed? Oh, God, you are gracious. I'm a simple man. Have mercy on me. Wara, wara, wara. You understand? Don't we get like that with God? So mealy-mouthed when it comes to real issues. I had to say to God, I want a wife. Hallelujah. I want a family. I hope you're hearing me today. If I hadn't come to that place, guess what would have happened? Poor old man. Lonely existence in the ministry. Are you hearing me today? When I put God on the spot, God was able to say, okay, you put me on the spot, let me put you on the spot. That's what you want. Here are the conditions. Get with it. Can you see the point? When we start to make these things concrete, I want to increase the business a hundredfold. God says, okay, it's a bit small for me, but I know you're petty about these things, but you're learning. Okay, we'll do the hundredfold, not a problem. Now, this is what you've got to do. You understand? Yes, Lord. Are you picking this up? Yes. You understand? It works in every area of life. I want to get 60% for my maths. Once again, God says that's a bit low for you because you've got my mind and you should be getting distinction. But okay, I realize you're just beginning. It's fine, that's 60%. But if you want that 60%, this is what you've got to do. You get it? In other words, the thing becomes more concrete. Are you hearing me? It has to become more concrete. For it to actually materialize. When we're down in the coast there, the one thing I really admire about that part of the world, because of the topography, because of the mountain ranges, etc., the highways are something to see. Those bridges, I mean, not that I'm ever going to commit suicide, but there's some beautiful sights if you want to say goodbye, cruel world. Have you seen those flyovers they're building there? I mean, it's awesome. 
These things are massive and they take years to build. But when I'm driving past this massive edifice, I can't help thinking that a little man got together, collected his thoughts, got the necessary skill sets together, you understand, the necessary finance, got the planning done, and is able to do such a great thing. Amen? It is really awesome. It speaks to me about the terrific potential in the human being when you see that, and those buildings are dwarfed by comparison to others. You understand? But all those wonderful bridges, would they ever have happened if somebody had a dream about, oh, a nice flyover to that shopping center that I like so much? But it's a dream. Let me go over and sleep this side. You understand? Would it ever have happened? No. What would have to have happened? Somebody would have had to make a decision. This is what we are going to do. Amen? Are you picking this up? Once we get that into our mind, there's nothing that God cannot do with us. You see? I just think of what we can do. We've got a very strong vision of what we want to do. It's going to happen. Can you all just say amen? amen. Long and short, it's going to happen. We are going to have a church where people will come and meet with the living God Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, whatever day. And it won't depend on the pastor being there. Because the system is in place. And everybody knows how to operate. Are you hearing me? That's what happened on this convention. You just sit there, I played one or two chords, and they just picked it up and poof! Everybody's praising, you couldn't get another song in. This elderly lady starts to sing over here. We're in the queue to get some food. The other one starts to sing. Hallelujah. Before you know it, the Holy Ghost says, come down. And this one prophesies, this one preaches, this one does this, this one does that. Hallelujah. A way of life. Amen. That's what we're going to have here. But would it happen if I just rolled over in bed and said, oh, it would be a very nice thought. Let me write a book. I tried that once. I wrote this wonderful book in the creative church. I thought, this revelation, once the church gets it, our troubles are over. Hallelujah. <laughs> Gave a copy to all the pastors that I knew, waiting for their response to come. Still waiting. The only response I had was, I bumped into one of those pastors in the bank, and he was waiting in the same queue. And I said to him, did you read the book? He looked at me. Book fame! Book fame! Which means, translated into simple English. Probably read the beginning page. What am I saying? It's we've got to get active, we've got to do it, you've got to be involved. Amen? But you have to have the vision as well. Now, now that's the first half of the sermon. There's something else I wanted to say. Why did I read Acts 13, 1 to 6? Can I tell you why? Notice that blind Bartimaeus, for the vision that was in his heart to materialize, he had to at all costs get to Jesus. You understand? He had to get in contact with Yeshua. Aren't you all hearing that? In that process of going towards him, that's when the faith grows, and that's where the spark comes, and that's where the life can flow. Are you all hearing me? The miracle can take place. But there are many of us here who say, I don't know what my vision is. 
Is that right? Many people that will say, and can I just say something? That is the position of the majority of people. Let me just say that. And can I tell you why? It's not difficult for a person who cannot see to have a vision to see. Amen? It's pretty obvious is what I'm saying. It's not difficult for a person that's grown up in poverty to believe for finance because that's really where he's at, you understand? But for most of us, can I just say something? The vision that God has for us is so unique that it can't simply be written down in terms of what somebody else has done. Are you with me? That was my problem. I knew there was something for me, but exactly what it was, I didn't know. Now that I know, I realize why I didn't know, because nobody else had done it, in a sense. Amen? So there's nobody to say, oh, I want to build a church like that one. Because I'd go to that church and feel empty. I hope you're hearing me. No condemnation of another church. Just my personal call. I hope you're hearing me. See, so you've got to know that your calling is different to everybody else's. And you see, this is the problem. You know there's something there, but you don't know what it is. So what? How can you make it concrete if it isn't real in your heart? Let me just tell you what the answer is. Once again, to find that vision that God has for you, you have to get to Yeshua. Notice in that scripture, Acts 13, these people, Paul amongst them, had been in the church for years. Did you know that? His life as a Christian started off with a big bang. He was against them, and now suddenly he's for them. Right? And he started preaching. And he probably chased more people away by his preaching than anything else because the church had his talent, shut up and get out of town. They even organized a basket to put him over the wall so that nobody discovered him. He went off into the wilderness to get his own revelation. Amen? What God had called him to do. Can I just say this? Nobody had ever done it before. Are you hearing me? He was an apostle that broke new ground. He couldn't say, oh, let me do it like Joseph or Moses. Because they didn't do the same thing. Are you hearing me? He had to go and hear from God. But notice this, he comes back into the church and for a few months or years, he does nothing. Did you know that? The one job they asked him to do was, Paul, please take this money to Jerusalem. Thank you. Take the money to Jerusalem. There's the money. Thank you. Go back to Antioch. Paul had a very good start. A terrific testimony to start with. What is he doing? He's waiting. But what is he doing while he's waiting? Notice what they were doing. They were ministering to God. You get it? What we're supposed to be doing here all the time we get together? Drawing close to God. You hear me? Drawing close to God. And let me just say this. In that environment of continually drawing close to God, what happens? The Holy Spirit is set free to say, okay, right. Now, separate me. Paul and Barnabas. Did the Holy Spirit tell them exactly where they were going to go? No. Did he tell them exactly how they're going to do it? No. 
Did he tell them what they were going to face? No. Did he tell them even where he was going to send it? No. But he sent them. And what did they do? God has sent me. They waited for three days to make sure it was God that sent them. They fasted, laid hands on them, and then they... Can I just tell you what they did? It's very much like in those days they didn't have air travel, you understand? They had ships. So what did they do? We here, we've got to go to the nation. What do you do? You go to the nearest harbor and catch the first ship. Does that make sense? It's like saying to us, okay, we're sending you. Go to Oliver Tombo and wait for the right plane. I don't know if I'd say hallelujah if it says Somalia. New York, yes. Cape Town, praise God. San Francisco, yes. But uh, not Syria, thank you. <laughs> but what am I saying? They got up and they went. How did they get that call? How did the vision that God had for them become concrete in their lives? Are you hearing me today? By being with him. I hope you're hearing it. That's what church is supposed to be about. Do you know church is supposed to be the place where you now pick up what God wants us to do? Can you say amen? In the presence of God, worshipping God, don't be surprised if you get a hunger to go somewhere and not to wimpy either. Amen. I remember listening to an evangelist on television and they asked this evangelist, why is it that you went to China of all places? And you know what he said? He said, you know what? For some reason, I just had a love in my heart for the Chinese people. You understand? Now who's responsible for that? You tell me. It's the Holy Spirit. In the presence of God's people, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is able to impart to him part of his heart. And God is looking at people in China and he's looking at this man and his particular personality and gifting and saying, this is a match. This is a match. And the man feels a love for those people in China whom he's never met. What's that about? That's the Holy Spirit's heart being imparted into his heart. Are you hearing me? And so it comes. That the time comes for him to go there and to be fruitful for the kingdom of heaven. Amen? And as he goes, what happens? How it all works out becomes more concrete. I'll be hearing you today. What I'm saying is this, you see, God doesn't want you now wandering around aimlessly. Amen? But it's understandable, because I've been to this for many years, where you're not too sure what you're supposed to be. Amen? And the worst thing you can do then is try and ape somebody else. Amen? Because they look successful. The number of times you got somebody to come and give us some advice because we felt that we were missing the path. And every time they'd come and they'd tell us something which would make us become like somebody else until I realized the day dawned. I won't go into the sordid details, you'll know them, but God spoke to me and he showed me. Got to do a foundational business. Deal with foundation. Nobody will have you because they don't want you going to their home and digging up their foundation. Would they? Do you go to somebody's home as a visitor, as a guest, and they call you for lunch and you're outside, and they say, what are you doing out there? I'm just checking your foundation. 
What do you think they think of you? Hey, what do you think they think of you? Oh, I see your foundation is fraught here. Really? Well, unfortunately, your supper is fraught, so you go without for today, you understand? And you laugh, but that's happened. That's happened. You can't redo foundations that are full. You have to slip and start. So why was God holding us out? So we got the foundations right first. Better to get them before you build, don't you think? Imagine building a majestic edifice only to discover, oh, my soul, we should have gone down 20 meters, but we only went down five. That majestic pavilion is waiting for a storm. Amen. To begin to think away. Hallelujah. I hope you picked up this morning what I've had on my heart. God has got great plans for every single person. Can you say amen? amen. Tailor made. Tailor made. When you now fit into it, can I just tell you what it's like? It's like a sailing ship that puts up its sails and the wind comes and begins to blow. Amen? You just know that you know that you know that you know and because you know, you can just go. Isn't that awesome? And I'm praying that for every single person in this ministry. Amen? There's not one gifting here that God can do without can I just say something? If he cannot do without it, how much more can we do without it? You understand? We've got to find it. And I pray that this teaching will help you. Move towards him, because in him, he has got the perfect plan. And if you know your plan, keep going for him, because he will make it become more and more tangible and real to the place where it materializes. Amen? Which is what we want. We don't want pie-in-the-sky visionaries. Amen? Do you know what I mean? By that pie-in-the-sky visionary. You ask them about their vision. They've got a whole wonderful view of their life that they want to do for God. Then you ask them this question. That's beautiful, but what are you doing about it now, oh, it's in his hands. Hallelujah. Do you understand? When he chooses, now that's half true. But every vision has something that you and I can do now. And that thing that we're doing now will always push us towards him. Amen. Because he is the answer. Can you all say amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for random individuals. A man born blind, who in his heart of hearts never thought he would ever do anything for humanity. And yes, just that one fruit of persistence, when the opportunity came, by raising his voice and not saying no, taught our world a lesson, taught us a lesson, and in the process unlocked the salvation of God for himself and for anybody else 
who were prepared to learn the lesson. He knew what he wanted, and he believed God could do it. And he stood up and moved. May we all be like blind Bartimaeus in every respect, apart from his blindness, Lord. Pray that giftings that are in our midst, the awesome giftings that are found in your people as we've spent time in your presence, Holy Spirit. We ask you to reach down, touch us and change us and bring those giftings and those callings to the surface that we might be known as a people who know where they are going. A church that knows without doubt where it is going that many others will be drawn to you in Yeshua's mighty name. Amen. Praise God.